Welcome to Praise of Folly. Uh, I'm your moderator for this program, Keith Preston, uh, and I'm here with uh, Todd Lewis, who is uh, the normal host of the program, and we're also honored to have uh, Stefan Kinsella. Uh, we're going to be having a debate this evening, uh, very similar to the debate that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago when we had Dr. Walter Block on the program. We're going to be discussing the question of whether the uh, self-ownership principle and the non-aggression principle are intellectually defensible concepts. Um, and arguing in the affirmative is going to be uh, Mr. Kinsella, and uh, Todd Lewis is going to be arguing in the negative. Uh, just so you'll know a little bit more about our guests this evening, um, Todd Lewis is, the, as I said, the normal host of this program. He's also a blogger. Uh, he has a blog called Praise of Folly. Uh, he's a uh, paleoconservative. He resides in Ohio. He's also a devout Mennonite Christian. Um, and uh, Stefan Kinsella has quite an impressive resume. He is the founder and executive director of Libertarian Papers. He's the founder and director of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. He's a member of the editorial board of Reason Papers, a member of the editorial advisory board of the Molinari Review a member of the advisory board of the Lexington book series Capitalist Thought, Studies in Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. He's a member of the advisory council of the Government Waste and Overregulation Council of the Our America Initiative. Uh, he's also a registered patent attorney, a former adjunct professor at South Texas College of Law. He's a prolific uh, writer. He's published numerous articles and books on IP law, international law, and the application of libertarian principles to legal topics. Uh, he has a uh, law degree from the international, and he has a degree in international business law from King's College in London, and a JD from the Paul M. Hebert Law Center at LSU, uh, and uh, BSEE and MSEE degrees in law as well. So thank you for being on the program, uh, Mr. Kinsella. Sure. And uh, as far as the format, uh, this is going to be a fairly formal uh, debate format. Um, um, Mr. Kinsella is going to be speaking first. He'll go for 10 minutes uh, and explain why the uh, non-aggression principle and the self-ownership principle are indeed intellectually defensible concepts. Todd will uh, speak for 10 minutes and explain why, uh, why that he believes that's not the case. And then um, each side will have a f subsequent five minutes for... Um, a response, and then uh, there will be a 20-minute uh, open discussion, and then uh, each participant will get five minutes at the end, uh, and uh, Mr. Kinsella will get the chance to have the last word. Uh, and we do ask that as part of the format that uh, the uh, speakers stay on topic. Uh, the topic is is the uh, self-ownership principle and the non-aggression principle are these intellectually defensible concepts. So. Uh, without any further ado, uh, Mr. Kinsella, why is the non-aggression principle, why is the self-ownership principle intellectually defensible? Uh, okay, before we start, can we make sure Todd is online? I just see TL. Todd, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Um, do you guys see me and hear me? No, your video is gone, so I just want to make sure you did that oh, on purpose. Oh, sorry about so that. That's all right. No, no, that was an act. Okay, well, we're off to a good start then. <laughs> okay, so why is the non-aggression principle uh, uh, defensible? Um, I think the only way to approach this is to, uh, to, to lay it out and to, to, to define it. And different libertarians have different ways of looking at this. My, my approach is perhaps somewhat unique. It's not exactly the same as Walter Block's, which uh, you uh, debated recently. Um, it's similar, but a little bit different nuance. It's more closely related to that approach of Rothbard and uh, Hoppe, but of course I have my own approach on it. So let, let me explain what I believe the essentials of libertarianism, libertarianism is and how it ties in with the non-aggression principle and the self-ownership idea. So the libertarian idea is simply the idea that when we have to choose which property rules will apply in cases of disputes among people, we have a certain set of property allocation rules. Uh, it's commonly said that libertarians believe in private property rights compared – as contrasted with others. I don't think that's correct. I think basically everyone believes in private property rights. That is, they believe in some legal system which has some basis for assigning who owns what, and that's a property right. 
Um, I agree with Rothbard that all human rights are property rights, and I agree further that all property rights are necessarily the assignment of exclusive rights to use or, more precisely, the exclusive right to exclude others from use of a given scarce resource. And by scarce resource, I mean some scarce means of action that is contestable, that people can have a contest over, that could be rivalry or conflict over. So basically, all of political philosophy is simply concerned with when we identify a given resource over which there can be a contest or a conflict, then the question arises as who is the owner of that resource. That is what all of political philosophy is ultimately about, and when we give an answer to that question, we are giving an answer in terms of rights, whether you use the word right or not. So whether you say you believe in rights or not, you do believe in rights. Um, even socialists, conservatives, whatever, you all have a view of how property rights should be allocated. That is, when there's a resource over which there's a dispute, who is the owner? Now, the libertarian is simply the subset of political philosophy, the type of political philosophy, which has a particular and very consistent and very simple allocation set of allocation rules. Our allocation rule is that when you have a dispute like this, you can determine who the owner of the resource is by asking a few simple questions. Number one, you inquire as to who first used the resource. That goes back to Lockean homesteading or what's called original appropriation. Okay, So the first touchstone of property is who had it – as between the two people claiming the resource, who had it earlier? Okay, The second question would be contract. Contract means that the, the owner of a resource has the right to transfer the title of that resource to someone else by gift or by sale, that is by, uh, by some kind of exchange. Okay, And then the third way would be some kind of transfer uh, as a result of, an, of a tort or a wrong or an offense by the original owner, which obligates him to make restitution or what we might call rectification to someone else. So… Originally, so basically, what we say is someone who has the resource first has a better claim to it than someone else, unless he contractually transferred it to the other person by gift or by sale, or unless he has to transfer it because he owes compensation to them because he committed a wrong against them, like he committed a tort or a crime and he had to pay restitution. And so the, the property that he owned was transferred to them for that reason. So we basically ask about these three principles. Uh, original appropriation, uh, contractual exchange, or restitution. Now, these principles really apply to resources that were previously unowned in the world. That is, we're not talking about human bodies or ourselves, you might say. We're talking about other things. The reason is because we're talking about homesteading is one of the principles, and homesteading implies that you're coming to own or appropriate a thing that never had an owner, which doesn't apply to human bodies. The basis for ownership of a human body is different than the basis for ownership of external objects precisely because to homestead or to acquire by contract another resource, you have to already be a human actor with a body that's in some sense a self-owner. So the basis for ownership of your body has to be different, and I believe it is different as I wrote in one of my articles and as Hans Hermann Hoppe has argued in various writings of his. The basis of ownership of your body, which some people metaphorically call self-ownership, um, is not original appropriation and it's not contract. It is simply the better claim you have to your body because of your direct control over your body, because of the intimate relationship you as a person have with your body. Um, you have a better claim to it than anyone else, at least presumptively. So you have self-ownership, which really means body ownership. Um, now, I did hear in a previous debate with Todd and Walter Block that uh, Todd was objecting on this subject-object dichotomy that does not apply in my theory for several reasons. Number one, there's just simply nothing illogical or conceptually invalid with saying someone is a self-owner. If the self can be owned, which I actually don't believe it can be owned, I think what you really mean is the body. But if your body can be owned, there's no reason that you can't be the owner. Whether you is your body or whether you is some legal personality distinct conceptually from your body, 
whether you're religious or not, whether you believe in a spiritual realm or not, is completely and utterly irrelevant. It's simply a, a dualistic conceptual difference uh, where you conceive of the body as different conceptually from the person legally, which is the owner of the body. You don't have to be spiritual or mystical to believe in this, but if you, if you do, that's fine. It really doesn't matter. Just like you can believe the mind and the brain are different concepts, you can believe the body and the person are different concepts legally, or the self and the person and the body, I'm sorry, the self and the body legally are different concepts. So the libertarian concept is that um, we resolve disputes by resort to these principles of ownership. Now, where does not, so self ownership simply means body ownership. It means every person is presumptively the owner of their body. That is, if there's a dispute over who gets to use that body, it is not, it, the answer is the person himself gets to make that decision, not some external person. There's nothing illogical about this whatsoever. You don't have to resort to religious principles whatsoever to, to, uh, to resolve this. It's simply the libertarian answer is that we basically oppose slavery or involuntary slavery at least. Uh, and by the way, I also oppose um, voluntary slavery unlike Walter, which I've explained in different articles and which we can get into if it's relevant, um, but that's because of my view of contract, which distinguishes the mode of acquisition of ownership of external resources, which are previously unowned, from the mode of ownership of your body, which was not previously unowned and which you don't come to own by homesteading, uh, which is used as a metaphor by Rothbard and, 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 and Bloch. Uh, but is, is, I think, misleading and imprecise. You come to own your body simply because you have better connection to it than some other person. Um, so that is what I would say there on self-ownership. As for uh, the non-aggression principle, the non-aggression principle really applies literally to one subset of types of dispute, which is a, a dispute over a body. So the non-aggression principle is really just a way of restating the libertarian view of self-ownership. It's just another way of saying that you can't hit me or aggress against my body because I'm the owner of my body. So saying that you're a self-owner or a body owner, to be more precise, is saying nothing more than that you are you are that you believe in the non-aggression principle. And uh, vice versa, saying that you agree to the non-aggression principle is nothing more than a way of restating the fact that you believe that you own your body. Um, however, in libertarian in libertarianism, the, the concept or the term NAP or non-aggression principle is used as a shorthand to refer to the entire host of libertarian property allocation rights, but it is really not primary or fundamental or basic. What is fundamental is our particular property allocation rules. Every political – every competing philosophy, whatever Todd's is, I take it as some kind of conservative philosophy that used to be a, a libertarian fusionist philosophy. Even he has some kind of property allocation rules that he favors, whether it's implicit or explicit, whether he admits it or not, um, and those rules need a justification and an explication. The, the explication of the libertarian rules is as I have set out. Um, so the non-aggression principle is a shorthand to refer to this whole host of property rules. The property rules, as even Walter alluded to in your debate with him, are more basic because um, at least with respect to – objects that are not your body, we can't determine whether uh, an act of conflict over the resource is aggression unless we first determine who the owner is. So if I take an apple from your hand by physical force, it's theft or aggression if you own the apple. If I own the apple and you've taken it from me without my permission, then my recapturing the apple by force is not aggression. So we can't determine whether something is aggression unless we first determine whether it who the owner of that resource is. And we do that, as I said, by simply resorting to these three principles. Who had it first, which goes back to original appropriation in the perfect sense or in the ideal sense. And by the way, you don't have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve to, to figure out who owns property uh, in accordance with the original appropriation. It's just that you could in principle if you had to. All you have to do is go back to the earliest common owner of a resource between the two or more people that are contesting its ownership. And if you go back to an earlier common owner and they all agree that 300 years ago 
one person was the owner. You don't need to trace it back to Adam or the first owner. It doesn't matter if that guy got it from someone by force. It only matters that all all two or three or four of the contestants are claiming ownership based upon a common ancestor and title, as we say in law. And then you go from there and you figure out who has the best title. Because ownership of a resource, remember... Mr. Pinsella, your, yeah, please, your 10 minutes is up. Okay, well, I'll stop there and I'll... I'll um, I'll, I'll let Todd take over. All right, Todd, why, is, right. The, why is the non-aggression principle not defensible? Why is self-ownership not defensible? All right, so the first thing I'm going to start with is the claim that I still think is a valid one, that the subject-object distinction is a problem. So let's look at this. We have, for example, a slave can be both a subject and an object, but not in the same sense. He can be an object of the master, and whatever personal possessions he has can be his private property, his object. But the object-subject distinction presupposes a duality which doesn't exist if I am my body. Now, another thing is, this isn't, strictly speaking, Kinsella's position, but I think that Rothbard failed to defend libertarian uh, property rights by trying to show that you have three positions. You have either you own yourself, or your own everybody, somebody owns you, A owns B, or everybody has an equal quota share of everyone else. So the thing is this, then, he ignored the four other alternatives. Be, uh, God owns you. Um, nobody can own any. Nobody owns anybody else. Uh, a has only partial control over B, and e people have equal have an equally partial quotal share of another. And in in not show, demonstrating that, he has failed to demonstrate that that's the only alternative. Now, uh, in, in, in a unique way of defending the uh, interest of the self ownership principle is. Hans Hoppe's argumentation ethics, which he derived from the Frankfurt School thinker um, Jürgen Habermas. And he tries to demonstrate that if one engages in a debate with someone else and one does not commit to the position of self-ownership, one is committing a self-performative contradiction. And he argues that the only way that we could come together, this is a brief sketch, the only way that we would come together and agree to peacefully discuss our differences rather than beat our heads in, is if we already assume the other person was a self-owner. And Now, there's, two pro there's a couple of problems that I see with it. Uh, on the one hand, it's, it's begging the question, because it assumes that there's no other valid uh, philosophical position that could demonstrate that I think that you have some intrinsic value, for instance, the golden rule or the categorical imperative that Kant gives us, that I would not attack you, and I would debate with you. Now, the other thing is, as a thought experiment was pointed out by Gene Callahan and Bob Murphy, that if somebody believed that God owned all of us and gave us a kind of lease over our body, therefore, he would be able to set the rules for our use much the same way that a landlord sets the rule for the use of his own property. And so the theist could then argue with a libertarian that it might be appropriate to prevent suicides or prevent prostitution. And Murphy and Callahan argue that, well, no clear contradiction has occurred here. It may be a difficult sell. The theist might have to you know, make a lot of arguments to demonstrate that. But in fact, no contradiction has occurred. And all that you have to show to show that the premise of the argumentation ethics is faulty is that there are other viable independent reasons to treat people as individuals. Now, um, the other problem was, as they pointed out, with the Georgist, they said that um, if Hoppe's argument is that an individual needs to have, rather, I need to respect the individual's self-ownership rights in order to have a, a free and open debate. And if it's, you know, forces involved, it's just a, uh, a farce. It's not real. They would say the Georgist could argue that, well, I need land to stand on to have a discussion with you, so therefore I'm entitled to this piece of land. And they pointed out that Hoppe would say, well, wait a minute, just because you're entitled to use it during the debate doesn't mean you have full ownership of it. And he would be correct, but as they point out, then there would also be the case that it's you don't necessarily have rights of control of your body. So now, Kinsilla wrote in How We Come to Own Ourselves, which is about an article that was about 10 years old. He argues that 
we control ourselves because we have the objective link, which means that we have the control over our bodies. I control my body, and that means that I have the best claim to my body. Now, the, the, if you look at this, and then he also mentions an example by Hapa, where he says, if uh, the way I demonstrate con my body, uh, control of my body, self-ownership, is if I say, if the body obeys my will. So, for instance, if I say I'm going to raise my left arm, and I do, then that demonstrates that I have control over my left arm, and therefore signifies that I have self-ownership rights over it. And then he said that if instead of my arm being raised, the arm, the arm of, uh, say, Schultz or Meyer was raised, then, of course, the problem would be that I would have a better claim on their body than the body that I claimed I had but is not moving. Now, if we look at this, some, some odd things happen. For instance, in um, the science fiction uh, trilogy, the Foundation trilogy, there was a uh, villain in the second book called The Mule, and he was uh, there to thwart the, uh, the Foundation, which was a secret society based on restoring light and learning in, the dark, in, a, in a galactic dark age. And the mule used mind control over his uh, opponents. Now, as Hoppe demonstrated already, that if you have an objective link, uh, not the objective link, if you demonstrate that your will commands your body and your body obeys, then you've demonstrated that that's your control of the body. So if, if I say I raise my arm and Mueller's arm raises, then that would give me better grounds to believe that Mueller's arm is mine. Now, we lead to an odd conclusion because if the mule controls whole planets, millions or billions of people, then the mule would have the objective link to all of these people's bodies. And therefore, he would be the rightful owner. They would all be his bodies. But there seems something deeply unsatisfying with that conclusion. The, the other problem with the principle is that it, it seems to be somewhat ad hoc because he says at the end of the article that all other property rights are decided by the first use principle except our body. Now, he says that's because we can't mix our labor with our body. And, you know, he, he does talk about the possibility of your parents owning you uh, in perpetuity having the potential, the legal right to do so. But he finds that unsat un unappealing and unsatisfactory. And so he then says, well, there's this one thing, our body, that we have that is not acquired by first use. But to me, that just seems to uh, be violate the law of parsimony because the idea that your parents have first claim on you is a completely logically consistent position. The conclusions it leads to may or may not be liked, but it's a totally consistent position. And um, the claim that both Hoppe and Kinsella make that if I have, if I demonstrate that I have control over my body by my body uh, abiding a uh, acting according to my will, the problem is animals do the same thing. Animals have control over their bodies and their environment, and yet a libertarian would not be interested in saying that animals have rights. Now, Consilla might say that uh, he mentioned the other condition was being a person. Now, that's, that's a little vague, at least in the article. In, in philosophy, a person is someone that has a first-person perspective, which an animal, of course, does not. If they look into a mirror and they see themselves, they're not going to see another animal. But, in, in, of course, in, in many ways, uh, you know, the, the, the first-person perspective is what's meant Then even a toddler would have the first-person perspective. But maybe he doesn't mean that. So, again, I think it's a somewhat ambiguous term. And the while demonstrating that your will controls a body does not it might be, a might be a necessary condition, it's not a sufficient condition to demonstrate that you have the exclusive moral right to use your body. And as he argued in the paper, that if you control, rather, your parents did homestead you first, and while you're young, they have a prior claim to you, they have the objective link. But once you demonstrate that you have range of control over your body, uh, then you have the objective link. Um, now, the, 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 as a potential uh, counterexample, counter with the mule, the mule example would be completely legitimate because, as well, he would demonstrate a higher prior, uh, a prior condition to control of your body, you know, direct versus indirect. He has a direct control and you don't. And even though you owned it before that, that's not a sufficient condition to deny the mule the claim to your body because uh, a, a child, according to Kinsella, can say that, okay, parents, yeah, you had prior control when I was three, but now that I'm 16... 
uh, you don't. So I think I think the mule example is a good one. And the problem is, then uh, what what ha- who owns my body? Is it just a kind of kind of an accident? And furthermore, in the example that Hoppe gave, if my arm is broken, or if my arm has been sedated, or whatever, uh, and I will it to be lifted, and it isn't lifted. Does that mean I lose control of the arm? It's not entirely clear. Um, that would be an awfully odd uh, implication. So uh, I yield the floor at this moment. Okay. Mr. Kinsella, do you have a uh, reply? Yeah, what do we have, five minutes now to reply? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, first, I kind of warned you about this ahead of time, Todd. Uh, the problem with this kind of debate is that you don't really have a positive view you're articulating you're taking basically just random assorted talking about ad hoc ad hoc pot shots and mostly at theories that are not mine and you didn't really take a pot shot at my you asked me why nap and self-ownership are coherent i laid out a case for a coherent case of those you didn't really go after them you just took random pot shots at other theories um which are very confused I can't go into all of them. This is just like a grab bag. Uh, I can try to address some of them. First of all, I don't think science fiction is relevant whatsoever. Uh, I don't think what the mule does in Asimov's novel is relevant. Uh, there's no reason to believe that it's possible to control someone else's body. So that's a completely arbitrary statement according to the Randians. Uh, and even if you could control someone else's body, um, that would be an act of trespass to come in and take control causally over someone's resource that is already owned and and the baby or the child's body is either owned by the parent or owned by the child himself so whenever you do this act it's like hacking into a computer someone else owns you're cause you're using the laws of cause and effect to control a resource that you don't have any right to control so that would just be an act of trespass so if someone voluntarily zombified themselves or shackled themselves as someone else's will that might be another story um let me just try to address a few of the things. Um, first of all, Hoppe's argument is not based upon uh, Habermas, actually. It was developed independently. It was based more upon Mises and Rothbard, and then he borrowed some of Carl Otto Appel's theory. Appel was the better, more clearer German thinker, uh, which which was similar to some of Habermas's material. Habermas just happened to be Hoppe's uh, uh, PhD advisor, but really his theories draw upon Mises and Rothbard primarily, and Austrian economics and praxeology, uh, augmented by some of the insights Hoppe got from the type of thinking that was done by uh, the communication or discourse ethics of Appel and Habermas. Uh, anyway, that's irrelevant, but just to be uh, to make a correction on that. Um, you, I mean, you took a pot shot at Rothbard's three-part tri- trilemma. Uh, I think his actually his, his example is correct, and I think that your explication of these other alternatives in your discussion with Walter makes no sense. But it's, in any case, it's irrelevant. I didn't rely upon that in my own argument. Uh, I think you're just completely wrong in saying that um, there's something wrong with self-ownership because of this alleged philosophical pointy-headed subject-object distinction. The bottom line is you know, let's say I'm a woman and someone wants to have sex with my body. There's a sim- very simple question in, in law and in, so, in, in, in society. Who gets to decide who can have sex with her body? Is it the woman herself or is it someone else? You can make all the fancy arguments you want that there's a subject-object dichotomy problem, blah, blah, blah. No one gives a damn, to be honest. The question is who gets to answer that question, and the libertarian answer is a very simple answer. We oppose slavery. The woman gets to say no or yes if she wants to. So we can label that self-ownership, or if that concept bothers you, we can call it body ownership, or you can come up with another term if you want to. I don't really care what you call it, but you're, you're coming up with fancy subject-object discussion only makes me think that you want to come up with some other answer other than that the woman is the one that gets to decide. And if someone else gets to decide, then you're in favor of slavery, which is aggression and which is completely illiberal and not compatible with libertarianism. Since you won't say what you believe positively, I don't know, but I don't know what what case you've mounted against the argument that a person is the one who gets to make that decision over how their own body is used. Um, uh, I have never argued that parents own their children. I've never argued that kids homestead themselves. In fact, I was very clear early on to rule that out. I, I specifically said that ownership of your body does not rely upon uh, homesteading, it relies upon having a better claim, which is the objective link of direct control. 
and I never said that objective uh, directly controlling your body is a demonstration of self-ownership. What I said was that when two people have a contest over a person's body, the person who has direct control over it has the better claim to it, and that's what gives rise to the ownership claim. The reason that argument works is that any other person who is making the claim to own someone, basically making a domination or a slavery argument saying, I, excuse me, I have the right to own your body, you don't have the right to own your body, that person themselves engaged in a contradiction because they have to assume that they are themselves self-owners. They own their own bodies. Now, how did they get ownership of their own body? Presumably, they have ownership of their own body because they have direct control over it too. So they're relying upon the same argument that would be made by the would-be slave that they're trying to dominate. So they can't deny that claim or that argument or that status on behalf of the person they're trying to dominate when they're relying upon it themselves for the argument that they control their own body. Uh, so in any case, I just don't see that you've raised an objection to my description of the libertarian principle. I've basically said that when there's a contest over a resource, the libertarian solution is basically a more consistent and more economically aware and literate uh, answer based upon the common sense intuition that almost everyone shares. Almost everyone is a libertarian to some degree. Most people believe that aggression is wrong most of the time. Libertarians just take that to a consistent level. Okay. If you don't agree with that, what you're ultimately saying is if, if you object to the non-aggression principle, what that means is in some cases you think that aggression is in fact justified, which means you think it is justified to use someone's resource without their permission uh, even though they have a better claim to it based upon the three principles I laid out earlier. And by the way, in the earlier discussion with Walter, you laid out three principles which are wrong. You said the three principles… Uh, of ownership are uh, homesteading, contractual sale, or donation, which is a gift, which is completely incorrect. First of all, contract covers both gift or donation and sale. Contract is just the way an owner gets rid of ownership of the resource, so those two would collapse into one, and homesteading would be one. But these only apply to unowned resources, not to human bodies in the first place, and you left out rectification or restitution. So I think your entire approach is confused, and if the and let me make one final point. Is my time almost up, Keith? It's a yeah. It's a, about expired. All right, just one just one final quick point. Um, if the burden if you if you ask me to defend the non-aggression principle, that's a, a, a hidden or disguised way of asking me to show that aggression is not justified. Because unless you say that, okay, which is what I think you're implying, then you're agreeing that aggression is de by default presumed to be invalid, which is the non-aggression principle or which is the libertarian position. So even if you don't agree with my rendition of or my version of or my arguments for libertarianism, it still doesn't show that aggression is justified. That would take a positive argument by you, and I haven't heard it. Okay, I'll turn it over to you. All right, Todd? All right. Um, first of all, the idea that science fiction and the mule is irrelevant is not true. In fact, in Walter Bloch's argument for evictionism, his not his primary argument, but a very important argument is the future development of medical technology. He said in the future we might be able to save first trimester fetuses. Now, we won't. The thing is, he even said also that 100 years ago, evictionism would be essentially overlapping with abortion. So here, there, within it's respectable within the libertarian family to make a speculative claim about the future to help endorse or undermine a other position. Second of all, the mule would not be a trespasser because if that's the case, then the child would be a trespasser for exercising his rights over his, – his direct control over the child. Now, to say things like you're completely wrong and it makes no sense are just non sequiturs, so I'll ignore that. Now, the claim that you're in favor of slavery is, of course, the classic ad hominem argument because what you're, what, you're pro what you're secretly assuming is that there's no independent reason to justify why someone shouldn't use force against somebody. Now, this is quite easy to prove. Um, for instance, with Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy was, for all intents and purposes, a, so a communist. He didn't believe in private property, yet he was also a pacifist. Now, if somebody were to say that Leo Tolstoy was, a <laughs> was advocating aggression 
because he didn't believe in the NAP, that's just patently ludicrous. It's fatuous. Um, and the three principles of libertarian ownership, I've read that numerous times on the Mises Institute. It may not be the most expansive, but it's been used by others that I've read all over the place. Now, as far as the burden of proof, again, this, this has nothing to do with justifying violence. Because, again, you're operating on the assumption that there's no independent reason why somebody would, and I warned you about this as well, making these false assumptions and ad hominems is not a substitute for a good argument. And, uh, you, yes, indeed, Hoppe was influenced by Habermas and your hangout with, uh, not hangout, but podcast 370 with Tom Woods. You said that he derived some of his thoughts from Habermas, and that is a correct statement. It may not be covering everything. It may not be the most expansive, but, hey, I had 10 minutes. And uh, I have it. You can listen to it, and you said that he was influenced by Habermas. And that's one of the sources, though not the only source, for that position. And let's see here. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's enough because the other arguments I don't think you really dealt with. Okay, so are you finished then, Todd? Uh, yeah, I yield the floor. Okay, all right. Well, um, we now have uh, our segment where we go to our 20 minutes of free discussion. Um, if we to start off the discussion, I'll start by asking a question. Um, my first question is um, for Todd, because when you engage in these debates, a frequent uh, accusation, if you will, that's made against you is that if you don't believe in the non-aggression principle, then surely you must be advocating uh, violating someone's rights or you know engaging in aggression against someone in some way or persecuting someone or you're out to oppress someone now we can say well that's an ad hominem argument in the sense that it it's uh, it's argue it's the kind of argument that argues that uh, well your views are motivated by bad character or by uh, ulterior motives uh, but what on a on a practical or pragmatic level would you say to that I mean would um, the, the non-aggression principle, you know, whether it's defensible in a um, in an abstract philosophical sense or not, just on a practical level, what's wrong with the non-aggression principle, and what would you put in its place? Uh, sure. Okay, so the first question, um, again, I would argue that it's an, an ad hominem, which means it's, it's totally irrelevant. The truth value of the statement, of the argument, is totally independent of the character of the individual. And this is a false assumption that the only way that you would, the only reason why you might disagree with the non-aggression principle is because you would have to, you know, you, you don't have any other independent reason, which of course is not true. I gave one counterexample. That's all you need to do to refute a universal, a universal negative, which is Tolstoy. I could give more, but, but all you need is one to disprove a universal negative. Now, the question is, what would you, uh, the question was, what's wrong with the non-aggression principle? Well, the non-aggression principle is wrong, I think, for at least two reasons. The first reason it's wrong is because it's based, I think, on the, on the uh, flimsy ground of self-ownership. And the second reason why it's a problem is the, I've heard libertarians say uh, time and time again that the state is a criminal institution because it initiates force against those who consent, who don't consent. But by that logic, then all parents are criminals because all parents initiate force against their children, which they can't consent to. And I think that that leads to an absurd... And, of course, Hoppe... Uh, yeah, not Hoppe, sorry, um, Walter Block, rather. He, does, he didn't agree with that. He said, no, no, they're not, they're not actually criminals. See, no libertarian wants to actually apply it consistently because if they did do that, it would have to treat all parents as criminals because they initiate violence or force against their children without their consent. So you can't build a system where everybody has to consent to, to it, because at the, at the fundamental level of the family, consent doesn't exist from the bottom up. Now, among equals, husband and wife it does, because they had to consent to get married. And of course, what would I replace the system with? Well, the, the system that I would replace it with would be Christian ethics, as understood by the Anabaptist tradition, Mennonites and the Amish. So, that would be the answer to your question, Keith. Alright, uh, I have a question for Stefan Zella as well. Um, there are some libertarians who argue that the non-aggression principle is not enough. Uh, there are some libertarians who argue that, yes, the non-aggression principle uh, by itself is not a bad idea, and we should accept the non-aggression principle, but then they will say that it needs to be supplemented 
by other sets of values. And you have, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with this debate, but you have uh, the people who call themselves left libertarians who say that they have this idea called thick libertarianism that uh, essentially what that idea amounts to is that the non-aggression principle needs to be supplemented by leftist social and cultural values. And that's the, the gist of what they believe. There's also the paleo-libertarian uh, uh, milieu, which argues that uh, uh, libertarian uh, ethics in, in the sense of the self-ownership and the non-aggression principle is not enough. And they will argue that we also need to have a, uh, a libertarianism that's supplemented by conservative or uh, traditional uh, cultural and social values of some particular type or ethics that are informed in some wider sense by either religion or traditional philosophy or traditional morality. Do you have an opinion on that or do you feel that there's any merit to those kinds of arguments? Yes, I have an opinion on it. I, I think uh, I think all these arguments are completely confused. Um, they're the product of just sloppy thinking and vaguely worded statements, uh, ambiguously used terms, which lead to equivocation and question begging and loaded, loaded arguments. Um, first of all, let me say that there's a type of argument that's like this, which is common among the right and even among the left, where they will basically say, well, we agree that liberty is a good value, let's say, and liberty is a stand-in for roughly what libertarians believe in. But they say, but unlike libertarians, it's not the only value. So they, they believe in like a whole host of values on the same horizontal plane as liberty, and they need to balance them, sort of like the Supreme Court balancing free speech rights versus copyright and that kind of, that, this kind of stuff, um, which to my mind is simply an excuse for aggression. So what, all you're saying is I'm against aggression except in these cases, in which case I'm for aggression, which to my mind logically is no different than an aggressor or a criminal or a rapist or a robber or a murderer or the tax man saying, in this case, I'm going to use force to dominate you and take your stuff, even though you have a good argument against it. So I'm, so I'm usually in favor of liberty, but I think it's more important that I take your money and give it to the poor in this case. So I have values other than liberty. My view as a libertarian is that our view is that aggression is unjustified. So it doesn't matter if you say other values are important. The question is, do you believe that aggression is justified or not? And we say that it's not, and it's not justified for reasons Hoppe and others give because you simply can't come up with a rational, cooperative, peaceful, argumentative explanation for why it's okay for you to bash me over the head to get your way when I'm not harming you. So I, li I believe that aggression is literally unjustifiable. The only political system and political norm or ethic that remains standing that could pass any justifiability test is the libertarian non-aggression principle. If someone wants to use a peaceful, cooperative mode of, of discussion to try to argue that it's okay to use violence against people to get your way, I don't think those are compatible. It just can't be done. So the conservative like Todd, who apparently thinks homosexuality should be outlawed, um, and the, the socialist who thinks uh, uh, having too much income should be outlawed, they just can't justify the use of force that would be necessary to make these things illegal. They can't do it because justifying is a peaceful activity, but what they're proposing is something that's not a peaceful activity. Um, so take it back now to thickism. I, I don't know what it means to say that libertarianism is not enough. It's not sufficient. Uh, calculus is not enough and not sufficient. For what? For living. None of us are just libertarians. None of us are just political theorists. We're all human beings. Um, none of us understand only political theory. We understand language. We understand social cooperation. We understand manners and mores and facts and causal laws. We understand something about economics and history and sociology and psychology. Of course, all these things play into each other, but they're different fields. So I think the left libertarians are completely wrong and completely confused, and when they say they are thickers or they say they're not um, – that, that the non-aggression principle is not enough, they're just confused about what they really believe. Either they believe that there is, a, there is an exception to the non-aggression principle or they don't. If they don't believe there's an exception to it, then they are really a thin libertarian. If they do believe there's an exception to it like conservatives do, in other words – Aggression is mostly wrong, but sometimes it's not. For example, if you argue that we're opposed to aggression and authoritarianism and bossism and oppressionism or whatever they want to call it, and we're opposed to microaggression and we're opposed to um, uh, you know coercing people in ways that don't involve violence, then what that means is in a meaningful sense they have to ultimately believe that 
it's a rights violation to do something that is not the use of force, that it's some kind of microaggression or whatever, which means they believe in the use of force in response to something that's not force, which means they believe in aggression, which means there's an exception to their opposition to aggression. And to that extent, if they take this thickism seriously, they're not really a libertarian. They're just a, a social conservative or a socialist. So I think thin libertarianism is the only way to go, but that doesn't mean that we don't recognize truths and insights from other fields. I think as a practical matter, it's impossible to be a solid libertarian, at least as a thinker, without having some knowledge of basic economics, which means Austrian economics. But that doesn't mean that economics is part of libertarianism any more than logic is part of libertarianism. Okay, well, Todd, before I ask any more questions, uh, do you have anything you'd like to say in response to anything that uh, Stefan Gonzalez has said? Uh, yeah, there's a couple things that I want to say. The, the first thing I want to say is the idea that a debate is stacked or one-sided, if only one side has to give a defense, is clearly a specious and uh, absurd argument. And there are numerous debates that theists have engaged in. Uh, William Lane Craig debated in a famous debate, Does God Exist?, with the Christopher Hitchens. The premise of the debate was, does God exist? The premise was not, can Christopher Hitchens provide an account of an atheist reality independent of God? And if Christopher Hitchens could not have done that, that would not have invalidated the point of the debate. The point of the debate was, does God exist? And to win that debate, Christopher Hitchens did not have to demonstrate that there is an atheist alternative to the existence of God. So this is clearly a specious argument. And again, we see more of this specious ad hominem argumentation where if you don't accept self-ownership or the NAP, then you must advocate aggression. As I already stated, Leo Tolstoy did not accept the NAP or self-ownership and was a communist. And yet he didn't advocate aggression against anyone. Leo Tolstoy was a pacifist. And in fact, he was influenced to Martin Luther King Jr. in Mahatma Gandhi. So this is clearly a specious argument that has no, no real bearing on it at all. And uh, as far as uh, aggression being justified, I would ask how can the uh, libertarians who go on and on about non-aggression justify the destruction of children? Fetuses, the potential justification of infanticide as Block gave in their previous podcast. And um, so, no, they don't, they actually, in fact, if you don't, if you accept the NAP, then what you're really saying is you want to initiate unlimited aggression against children. I have a question I'd like to ask each uh, uh, panelist. Um, I, 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 that's fine, but I'd like at some point to respond to some of this. Oh, okay. But, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, a few things. And, and Todd, feel, at this point we're in conversation mode, right? So feel free to jump in. Um, sure. First of all, I, this is going to sound condescending. <laughs> I really don't mean it to be, but I have never had a debate before that was this reasonable and decent. So I, I really can commend you on – not doing what every other debate opponent I've ever, I've ever had on anarchy or on um, intellectual property like Jan Helfeld or other people. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, every one of them is completely dishonest or stupid or, uh, or incoherent. Um, now, I think you're kind of incoherent, but that's because you're wrong. Okay, and, and you're doing the best you can with the wrong principles. I think you're doing what I did. Again, I don't mean to be paternalistic or condescending. It's just my opinion. You cannot defend what you're really trying to defend, and that's why you don't want to make a positive defense for it, which I commend you for. You just want to pick holes in what we're doing. The problem is you're, you're attacking straw men. But for example, your attack on children just now. I mean, look, you're, pick, you're talking about Tolstoy, and you're Excuse also – Excuse me. Can I say something? Well, hold on. Let me just give – me, give me 30 seconds. You're talking about Tolstoy and the mule in science fiction and what Walter Block's view on children is, yet you claim to have read my article on, on um, how we come to own ourselves, and you know that's not my view. So – I don't know if you're asking me to defend what other people have said that I disagree with or if you're saying that's representative of libertarianism or if you have a better theory or why that's even relevant to showing that the non-aggression principle that I am in favor of and I elucidated is wrong. And I'm not sure what you gain by showing that I'm wrong. What does it, sh- what does it prove if I'm wrong? But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Um, the first thing is uh, – you're welcome. Um, the second thing is um, – no, you mentioned again with okay. So why did I bring up Walter Block and why why does that matter? Well, no, I, see, I didn't. I didn't ask you that though. I didn't ask you why you brought it up. I just no, no. It, well, no. You said you said you said that 
I brought it up, and that wasn't a position you defended. And and yeah, I but, knew but that you haven't let me respond to it yet. So we're, we're talking meta talk about it now instead of letting me respond to it. I mean, if you're going to bring it up, I need to respond to it. No, okay, you can kind of respond to it then. Well, so my view on the children issue is 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 what I, I set out that I believe, like you probably do. I'm not opposed, like most libertarians are, to the idea of of positive obligations and positive rights. I'm only opposed to non-voluntarily incurred positive obligations and positive rights. But I believe that the child is not a trespasser. The child is invited by the mother into her womb. Okay, so she has, she has no she has no right to regard the child as a trespasser, which is why your argument earlier that there is an analogy between what what the uh, what the mule would do by stealing possession of a body and what the child does by taking the mother's property is simply wrong. The mother invites this potentially rights-bearing entity into her body, knowing that it's going to develop at some point into a self-controlling, rights-bearing being. She can't complain when it finally seizes control of its body and starts acting like a rights-bearing being. So that's not an act of trespass or theft against her property. This is a natural result of what she has done. Just like if you invite dinner guests over to your house, you can't say they're trespassing in your house. So it's t not analogous to what, what the mule does by stealing some property that is uh, admittedly owned by some other party. They're, they're just not analogous at all. Um, and, I mean, you brought up God ownership too. First of all, you know, we don't want to get into God, but th this whole idea is ridiculous. I do take the Randian side of what it means to have arbitrary statements. If you say A, B, and C is possible, my objection was not to hypotheticals or to science fiction. It was to your asserting that something is possible as an opposition to an argument. You can't simply assert something is possible without giving evidence for it. And the fact that Isaac Asimov wrote a novel that, that pleased a bunch of 14-year-old fuzzy-haired boys is not an argument that something's possible. I don't personally believe there's any reason to think that it's possible to have zombie-like control over another human being. Uh, maybe in the future, but we have no reason to believe it. So until we have positive reason and evidence to believe that, that's an arbitrary statement, which the Randians would say should be rejected completely out of hand. I, I could, I could, I could. I have five, ten things here I've written down. I would object to what you said. Your Habermas thing is a cheap shot because you only had ten minutes. I know that. I only had five minutes to reply, so I just said a point. I was clarifying something. I'm not being too critical of you. I'm just saying if you really want to look into the origin of Hoppe's ideas, I've written in detail on it, and it wasn't Habermas. Yes, it played a role, and I didn't deny that. So there's lots of things we could talk about uh, if we have time to. And, but your three principles of ownership, you said you've heard people say it. Well, first of all, I've never heard anyone put it that way. What I, ha what I have heard is people say there are three modes of ownership, homesteading, contract by which they include the two things you put into two separate things which is gift and sale okay and creation now that's the mistake most libertarians make and that's why i oppose intellectual property and i think if i'm not mistaken you do too which again is to your credit um but anyway i'll stop there and i've got several things i could go back and forth with you on but i'll let you um i'll let you go go now to whatever you want to talk about sure i just want to ask keith preston how much time do we have left so i can uh, moderate what I'm going to say. Okay, well, for this section, we've got about five minutes left. Well, let me let me ask something okay. qu quickly. Um, I don't mind if you want to, Todd, going a little bit longer on this section and cutting our conclusions short because I don't really see the point of a conclusion at this point unless you really want to do it. I, I would be happy with just extending this period a little bit longer. Okay, so basically we cut down the concluding statements to two, two-and-a-half-minute statements. It would be a total of five minutes for both of us at the end. Which would give us a net five minutes. Does that that would give us a ten now? That's okay. With Does me. that work? Or we could even go okay. a little bit longer on this segment and not care about the time so much at this point. I don't care. I I, I can go ten or fifteen. Okay, minutes I, I over would still like to keep it to an hour. That's that's how I like that's to roll. Fine. So. That's fine. So um sure, but so we, um hold on. We keep this um, segment going for what another five minutes? Another five minutes, and then and then there'll be a five minute concluding or two minute two and a half minute concluding remarks by Kinsella and um, myself. Now, uh, again... I can uh, even do mine in a minute. Well, Go sure, ahead. fine. There's no you don't have to keep the limit. You could be less than no, the limit. No, wh whoever does it shorter wins. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, no, merely... merely a, okay, there's a lot of things to unpack here, but um, merely asserting that 
the God option is wrong, well, I could just equally assert that the atheist option is wrong. It doesn't prove one thing one way or the other. It's, uh, it's again, it's a non sequitur. It doesn't prove any points. And as I said, now, if, if you were familiar and had educated yourself about the Mennonite Anabaptist tradition, you would know that they are all pacifists. So, yes, we are socially conservative, and we do not seek to use initiation of force or otherwise in, uh, against people. But, again, you, you didn't look up into the background. Well, if you, were, if you were arguing that, I might have, but you're not making a positive argument for that, so you can't hide behind that now. I don't need to make a positive argument, as well, I said. I don't Chris need to educate Hitchens, myself on it then. Well, then, Chris, well, Christopher Hitchens didn't have to give an account of a universe without God to, to win the debate that God doesn't exist. So I don't have to provide a, we could have debated that, um, but that would have been a different well, debate. I, I'll be happy to debate you on that. I don't think that, I, I didn't really rely upon there not being a God in any of my initial comments. Um, I just think that you positing God is a slave owner of all of humanity doesn't disprove uh, self-ownership. No, no, see, that's, that's not the point. First of all, there's, there's a lot of loaded terms here, but the fact is, then, is a child a slave of his parents? I mean, when when they have the direct uh, the objective link well, over them? Do you them? want my view or do you want Walter's? I already told Your you. View. My view is Your that view. the child is a self-owner from the moment he becomes a self-owner. Now, there's debate about, about when that point comes. In my view, it comes sometime early in the pregnancy, like late term in the pregnancy. Before that, there's no rights-bearing entity. At some point, the child becomes a rights-bearing entity. The, the parent does never owns the child after the child becomes rights-bearing, but the parent acts as an agent or representative of the child. So in this entire discussion you had with Walter was completely confused about spanking and stopping a child from going into traffic. You're conflating things that are completely different. And to, to be really quick because I've talked about this before and we don't have time, if you use physical force against a child – to like give it a tonsillectomy or to uh, give it necessary surgery or to keep it from running into traffic, that is not punishment. That's not spanking at all. And I would say that the parent is deciding as the guardian on behalf of the child to consent for the child. In other words, the child is consenting to that uh, as manifested by the decisions of its guardian. So it's not, it's not aggression at all. It's not analogous at all. Spanking is another matter. That is punishment, and in my view, spanking is arguably uh, aggression and is a crime. So, but that's a discipline method. That's not the same thing as stopping your drunk friend from jumping over a bridge. I don't think that's aggression either. If you see an old lady on the street about to walk in front of a bus and you pull her out of the way, I don't think that's aggression at all because I can, we, we can assume implied consent on behalf of the victim to that kind of action. There's details to this, but I'm just saying this is not aggression, like whatsoever, in my view. And I've never, okay. I never, so I never, I never justify aggression. Well, I, what I, well, I would agree that that Walter, uh, we had some strange off the weeds there at the end. Um, I I didn't really uh, want to go there, but so are you gonna say something, Keith? Oh yeah, I was just gonna say I, I mentioned earlier I had a couple of questions I'd like to ask each of you because I think this would. Sure, go ahead. Um, help clarify your own positions for the listener a bit. Um, so I'm going to uh, throw out uh, one question for uh, Stephanie Gonzalo and one for Todd Lewis. Um, and um, for Stephanie Gonzalo, the, the question I have is uh, Eric von Cunet Ladin, who was a, uh, for those listeners who don't know who he was, he was a, he was a conservative uh, writer in the 20th century. He called himself a uh, anarchist of the far right or a conservative Christian anarchist. He was actually a liberal Catholic monarchist. But he once said that uh, all serious political philosophers recognize that the uh, most, uh, the best form of government is to maximize the individual's liberty to the greatest degree uh, possible, and that's still consistent with the common good. Uh, now, obviously, a problem with that is um, what is the common good. But the question I'm going to ask Stefan Fenzella, and then before you answer, let me throw Todd's question out as well. Um, the question I'm going to ask Stefan Fenzella is. Are there circumstances that you could conceive of in which the common good might have to outweigh the individual's liberty and perhaps what is commonly thought of as the general principles of self-ownership or the non-aggression principle could be uh, rescinded at least temporarily or partially uh, for the sake of some uh, common good, either some kind of emergency situation or something like got that? It, got it. All right. And then, um, Todd, the question I have for you is this, and this is uh, comes from... Uh, a discussion I recently saw between George Will and Nick Gillespie of uh, Reason Magazine. And, and yes, to all the paleocons and libertarians listening, I know George Will is the devil, neocon, but uh, I thought his point was he was interesting. And he said that uh, 
in law, he was talking about how he's become more libertarian in his thinking over the years, and he said that he thinks that in law, that there should be a presumption in favor of the liberty of the individual, unless there's some compelling uh, reason to override the liberty of the individual. He, he wasn't saying that there's never any compelling reason, but there, uh, but that should be the the standard. You know, if you're going to override the liberty of the individual, there's got to be a really good reason for it. I'm wondering if Todd would accept that principle, or if he would argue the opposite. There's there should be some other first principle of which perhaps liberty is a derivative or secondary concern. I'll let uh, Stefan Kinsella answer first. How much time do we have total here? Uh, we have about, well, three minutes total. Okay. All right, I'll try to keep it to a minute and a half. Um, so my approach to that is uh, I believe – I'm going to have to be quick. I'm going to have to be uh, compressed here, and uh, I, I'll, at the end I'll give links to – further reading on my thoughts on this. Um, I'm a very narrow libertarian in the sense that I think libertarian principles – I agree with what Douglas uh, Denoyle and Rasmussen uh, with how they view libertarian principles. It, they're not directly moral principles. They're not a subset of ethics or, or morals as most, most libertarians think of it. Most libertarians think of libertarian principles as a subset of ethics. Like, for example, some things are just wrong to do being insulting your grandmother and some things are so wrong that they're a rights violation they can be countered by force so that's a, a proper subset of of ethics or, 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 or morals I think the sets are overlapping okay I think most things that are rights violations are probably immoral but the purpose of rights is not to tell you what to do on a on an, on an operational basis in your daily life the non-aggression principle, as a shorthand for the property rights, is not a guide to human action. It's a guide to what laws are justified. It's a guide to what institutional responses to violence are justified. Okay, So I conceive that it's possible – and Rothbard, I think, uh, alludes to this in some of his writings. I conceive that it is possible that just like we would all acknowledge that it's sometimes immoral to do something that is within your rights – like it's within my rights to insult my grandmother. It's within my rights to call some black person uh, nigger, right? It's, I have a right to do that, but you could say it's immoral, okay? But conversely, just because something is a rights violation doesn't necessarily mean that it's immoral. I could see a case being made that in some situations you should, as a personal moral matter, violate rights. If you need to steal a loaf of bread to save your starving child's life or break into a cabin in the woods – then you should do it, but it's still a rights violation, and the legal system has to respond accordingly. So I think that's the safety valve in a sense. Instead of saying that rights have to be have, – have an exception for cases of emergency or extreme need or use, I would simply say that rights are about the institutional response to acts of violence and violation of property rights. They're not about guides to personal behavior, and if in a case someone needs to violate a right or they do violate rights – then we have to decide whether – what the response is going to be. But whether they did something immoral or not is a personal decision that's up to them. So that would be my response um, uh, to that. Okay. And Todd, okay. your response? Yeah, and this will probably be the last thing we have to say before the conclusion, right, Keith? Right. Okay. So if I remember correctly, your question was um, are there any prior considerations to liberty, right? Is that Was that your question? Yeah, well, should the presumption be in favor of liberty unless there's a compelling interest to the contrary? And mm, 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 mm. Uh, I would agree. Um, I think, though, that this – now that we're out of time, I, I can't really get into the details of, of liberty, but I think we have a different understanding of liberty. But Cerebus Paradis, yeah, there's no, unless there's no overriding um, considerations. So maybe we should just wrap it up now. Wait, so uh, we have a, a few seconds. So you're saying there is a general presumption of liberty. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but I think we have a fundamentally different understanding of liberty. Okay, um, but you think there's a presumption of liberty that has to be overcome by some reason or argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So your default position would be pro-liberty in however you conceive of it. Well, no, no. All things being equal, if there's, a, if there's a higher prior good, then we'd always rule in favor of that higher prior good, assuming it contradicted liberty. But if it didn't… So if we have an order of, of, of valued goods, and if we have something higher than liberty, if that were to contradict liberty, then we would say, okay, that would be a sufficient condition to then say, okay, liberty shouldn't be sought at that 
position. So like God is on the top and then something else and then yeah, liberty's in the exactly. middle and then and then something's below liberty, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's yeah. sandwiched in between some other array of values that you think mm-hmm. exist in the omniverse. And and you know the same thing I think would a similar without the same uh categories, I think someone on the left, a left libertarian uh, would probably say would probably make a similar argument. There are things Right, that's that's, that's why liberty. that's why I equated socialists, libertarians, left libertarians, thickers of all types. Uh, they're all the same, in a sense, mm-hmm. fundamentally. Anyway, okay. I think it's time for Todd's wrap up, and then my wrap up, or how do we do this? Yeah, yeah, uh, you you can actually wrap up first. I'll give you all three. I only need okay. I'll, I'll, uh, again, I, I I did enjoy this. I think you were fair and sincere, unlike almost everyone I debate with. So, on, I mean that seriously. Um, I I don't think you ever were a libertarian because I've never met a real libertarian who left it. So I think you were confused, and if you really got it, you would be a libertarian because I could see you almost there. I think your religion is confusing you because I think religion is irrational and it's a poison to the mind. Not your fault, probably how you were raised. I know that sounds condescending, but that's my belief, and I never pussyfoot on that kind of stuff. Um, so I would simply say this. The details of everything I'm saying I think can be laid out in a fairly analytical way, and I've tried to do so as much as I can in my writing and speaking and talking. I would simply say anyone who wants more details on all this should just go to stephankinsella.com slash LLW. That's a page for my upcoming book, Law in a Libertarian World, where I'm going to collect and compile a lot of this material, and I have a lot of uh, blog posts and articles linked there with elaboration on a lot of the things we talked about here. So just stephankinsella.com slash LLW for anything else. And feel free to contact me on Facebook, NS Kinsella, or email me, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to discuss this stuff uh, at any time. Uh, okay. okay. Um, Todd, have anything to say? I win. I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> That's not. Oh. I didn't have the shortest one. But uh, so I, w- I would just say in conclusion that um, what was not demonstrated was that the range of control over one's body is a sufficient condition for self ownership. And uh, we didn't get time to get into that. I, I wish we'd had, but we, we ran out of time available. Um, again, I think ad hominems and and leading questions don't really answer the uh, direct objections now and then lastly i mean uh he sounded kind of like a calvinist there right no one no one actually leaves the fold they weren't really in the fold to begin with so uh you know maybe you're challenging you know calvinist there but uh yeah that's it i'll take my leave okay well i i've certainly enjoyed listening to this discussion as the moderator and i want to thank uh steph Pinsella for being willing to be on the program and uh take the last hour, hour and a half that we've been doing this and, and discuss libertarian theory, and I hope this has been of interest to our listeners. Uh, Todd, you presented yourself well as always, and thank you gentlemen for being on the program. Thank you guys. You're welcome.